Okay, guys. I'm back for four more chapters. Are you ready for the first chapter of this episode? Let's begin. Finding the trail in the dark was easier than I imagined. But Anna hadn't been kidding. This was the kind of dense and tangled forest that Horflix are made of. My flashlight only lit up so much, point it at the ground, and I wound up getting hit in the face with a low-hanging branch, pointing at the trees, and I wound up tripping over a rock or a root or God knows what. And then there was the soundtrack. There must have been a thousand brands of insects jumping and clicking and screeching. I try not to think about all the creatures I couldn't hear. War snakes, not pony, wild boars, Florida panthers. I wished I'd paid closer. I'd paid close attention when Aunt Lindsay dragged me on her nature walks. The rifle I was carrying didn't give me much comfort. It wasn't Doris's shotgun, but it had a similar heath and feel. Anna had tried to talk me into buying a handgun. We stood there debating the nutrous right in front of the pawnbroker. It was true that a pistol would have been more practical, but I'd never fired one before. Stick with what you know, I thought. Especially when you had a rock style teacher. I wish Doris was here with me. Now she was exactly the kind of person you wanted in your trench at the darkest hour. Loyal, fearless, willing to fight. I wondered what she thought of me after my sudden and violent departure. Probably she thought I was weak. In my place, she'd have gone down swinging or firing me. I rolled on my back and played possum. At least in her eyes, of course. I couldn't tell Doris the full story, for her sake more than mine. I was starting to wonder if this log existed, if maybe Anna hadn't sent me on a ride of goose chase why she carried out some plan of her own when I turned a corner and rocked smack into it. If it had been a real log, I'd have bruised my knees something fierce. But because it was synthetic and lightweight, all it did was startle me. I pushed it aside, shone my flashlight on the blue top, and let out a scream, and then out a scream. I hoped afterward would blend with the insect's general din. There in the center of the top, curled up and groggy, was the largest, fattest waddle moccasin I'd ever seen outside of a reptile house. Black and tan scales, squat, reds like hen, easily three feet long. I jumped back unslung the rifle from my shoulder and took aim, dropping the flashlight in the process so that the snake disappeared in the dark and there was no longer anything to aim at. God damn it, I yelled. The fog didn't do the flashlight any good. 
it was flickering on and off now, acting like a slow black. I knelt down and got it at the top. The snake had it burst. Then it dawned on me. He wasn't just gawky. He was deceased. I moved a little closer, stopped my foot to be sore. Still no movement. I slung the life back over my shuttle, inched forward, grabbed a corner at the top, and dragged it away until the submarine escape hatch Anna had described was clear. Hope you don't have any friends. I told the snake corpse, folding the plastic over his body just in case he decided to play undead. The doll was heavier than I would have thought, or else it was stuck because no one had opened it in a long while. Maybe since Anthony and Anna took that little tour, I groped around until I found the switch. It was right where Anna had said it would be. The problem was it didn't work. I flipped it up and down a dozen times. Nothing. Not even a flicker. A half hour until our rescue attempt, and I had a dead snake. A half-broken flashlight and a pitch black tunnel to navigate. But there was no turning back now. It didn't matter how scared or discouraged I was. Three lives depend on me following through with a plan I never should have agreed to in the first place. So I sucked it up, so I sucked it up and started down, gun on my shoulder, flashlight between my teeth. I felt like a cook playing action figure. Courage had never been my thing. I was the girl who crawled out of the, crawled out to the edge of the driving board and then lay flat on her belly, clinging for dear life. I was the sixth grader who got buried by third graders. Later, I became the woman who married a cop because she thought She needed protecting. I promised myself that if I got out of this alive, I'd play it safe until they buried me. No skydiving on my 15th birthday. No running naked into the ocean when the next winter solstice wore out. I wouldn't even buy lottery tickets anymore. Meanwhile, the misadventures just keep coming. After a slow and careful descent, I missed the last one of the ladder and came down hard on my left ankle. Definitely twisted, probably sprained. I hobbled forward a few steps reached out to brace myself against the cold concrete wall. I hoped Anna's memory 
was solid. I hope it really was just a 10 minute walk on a healthy pair of legs. The malfunctioning path light made it seem as though there were shadows. Well, the, well there shouldn't be every few yards I'd jump back, land on my bad angle, and stifle a scream. I tried turning the light off, filling my way along the wall, but then I was struck with a fit of panic, a sensation that it was the wall touching me instead of me touching the wall, as if the ghost of men, the crustaceans had killed and hid away in these concrete slabs were reaching out now to take revenge on anyone who passed by. My breathing started to take on the rhythm of the flashlight. Long gasps broken up my choppy reading. I was sweating all over. I felt lightheaded. I kept pushing away. I thought that didn't help. If the lights in the tunnel weren't working, then needles were the vents. Maybe I wasn't panicking. Maybe there really wasn't any air to breathe. And maybe I wasn't hallucinating. Maybe the tunnel really was narrowing. The walls closing in. Just as I'd done on the diving board all uh, those years ago. I got on my hands and knees and crawled forward. Anybody watching would have thought I was chasing after the flashlight, spandic bu- burst, the way some cats would chase the beam of a pin light. And then when I thought I couldn't take any more, when I thought everything would pass out, I nearly smacked my head on a mental sliding door. I poked at it with my finger we saw it was real. Yep, this was no Moaz. I'd reached the end. I got to my feet thinking, now's the time to be afraid. Now is when the real danger begins. But I wasn't scared of anything. I found a strange surge of confidence as if I'd burned up all my fear in that tunnel. I was ready to conquer whatever waited for me on the other side. There we go. Just the first chapter of this episode. Ready for the second chapter of this episode? Let's begin. The money just kept coming, one bundle after another, until the columns nearly reached the chandelier. More cast than I'd ever seen at one time. The kind of cast that does things to men, especially men who spend their lives looking for easy ways to get rich. Men who take and give nothing back. Men like Defoe and Block, who snatched us off the street and tied us up and pointed guns at our heads. I watched Anna, watched her hand moving in and out of the bag. She seemed steady, strong, unafraid. This was a new Anna Costello, different from the woman who soaked around that ridiculous castle, hiding from her marriage. In plain sight, I didn't know what she was planning, but I knew there had to be a plan, and I didn't believe for a second that Sarah 
had one off. That she was scaled, yes, but Sarah was the time to stare down the fields. The stacks of bears kept climbing. Defoe was trying hard to look unimpressed, but Brock was another story. His mouth hung open as though he'd forgotten how to breathe, and he shifted his weight back and forth from one foot to the other. He looked like an inflated toddler who had to pee. Even then, she seemed memorized. There was more money on that table than, than a nurse could hope to make in a lifetime, maybe two lifetimes. Almost there, Anna said. Bet you boys are dreaming of a cabana in Barbados right about now. Her voice rose as she spoke, as if she was calling to someone in another room. The way she used to call for me to bring her things, a glass of water, a bottle of aspirin, a pair of slippers, she'd left downstairs. Brock was too busy salivating to notice the rise in volume. Defoe struck by his blink expression. That's one coming up, Anna said, her voice louder still. But when she poured her hand back out of the bag, it wasn't holding money. It was holding a silver handgun, the kind that's small enough to fit in the palm of a hand. In a single smooth motion, she pivoted and pointed it at Defoe's head. But before she could say anything, I felt the bell of Brock's cannon-like revolver pressing against the back of my skull. And then the shot came, not from Anna's gun or Brock's gun, but from somewhere close by. An explosion shone out at top of the stacks of bears and had my ears ringing and buzzing as though I was trapped underwater. And then Sarah appeared in the doorway, looking out at us from behind the long barrel of a rifle. I could sense Brock's head turning. I reached up, grabbed his wrist, yanked it forward, and bit until I tasted blood. He held, stumbled backward. I looked down and saw his revolver lying at my feet. Forgetting I had one hand tied to the chair, I reached for it and went tumbling over, landing flat on my back with the chair beneath me. But I had the gun out. I trained it on Brock. I had no doubt I'd shoot him if he took a single step forward. After what we'd done to Anthony, it would have been easy enough to pull that trigger. Brock must have seen it in me because he backed away with his hands held high. Over the drowning in my ears, I heard Lindsay scream. Anna, I glanced sideways at my former boss, saw that Defoe had taken her gun and slipped behind her. He had the sub-nosed bell against the small of her back and stood with his chin nearly resting on her shoulder as if he was playing peekaboo. Lowering his hands, Brock took a quick step forward but stopped short when I swung my head back and cocked his revolver. The truth is, I wanted to shoot him. I was done being afraid of violent men. I didn't want to kill him. I wanted to cripple him in a way that would keep him from ever hurting anyone again. But the giant was afraid of me now. He threw his hands back up in the air, retreated until his shoulder was 
hit the wall. My ears popped as if I was on a plane that had just cleared 20,000 feet, and I heard Sarah's aunt playing negotiator. No one needs to get hurt here, she said. So how about you all just set your weapons on the table? I've got a better idea, Defoe said. Tell the cook and the maid to put their weapons down, and I won't kill the widow and the aunt. I heard my voice before I knew it was me talking. How about you put your gun down, or the maid kills your partner with his own gun. He makes a nice big target. Defoe laughed, and not for effect. He laughed as though the idea that he might kill if his partner lived or died was his new favorite joke. Drop it, Sarah, he said. No, Anna said, don't take this up. Defoe's mind turned to a snarl. Don't play around, little girl, he said. This is my word, not yours. Lindsay, her voice shaking, said, please do what he asks. Take the shot, Anna said. One, Defoe said. Suit, Anna said. Two, suit, God damn it. Three. I felt the floor shake beneath me. Saw the chandelier swinging above me, and then everything went quiet again. There you go. That is the second chapter of this episode. Ready for the third chapter of this episode? Let's begin. Now I'd killed two men. I glanced around the room. Serena, lying on her back on the floor, held Brock at bay with the gun she'd taken from him. Anna sat on Anna sat at the head of the table, trembling, wiping Defoe's blood from her face and neck with a handkerchief. Defoe's corpse lay on the floor behind her. I wasn't ready to look at him. None of us were. I couldn't look at Aunt Lindsay either, not after what she'd just seen me do. Me, her niece, turned daughter. I remembered what she had said when I was caught cheating on a math quiz. You can be anything you want in this life except a disgrace. I thought she'd say a lot worse now, but she slipped right into take charge emergency room mode. For God's sake, wake up, people, she said. Sarah, go find a knife and cut us free. Serena, if that brain dead, Anna, so much as to just give him one light between the eyes. We will just dig the grave a little deeper, Anna. Stick the cast back in their bag. Come on now, no time to waste. The marching orders were a blessing. A chance for me to cruise on autopilot. Why the sock died down. I limped into the kitchen, set the rifle on a counter, and started opening doors. By the time I returned with the serenaded steak knife, the cast was packed away and Serena was sitting upright. It was Anna who asked, So what now? Now we end this, I told her. End it how? I turned to Brock. Let's ask him, I said, what was supposed to to happen next. He told he told me what I could do to myself in all certain terms. It wasn't that he was grieving Defoe. He just didn't like being beasted by a handful of women. Suit him, Aunt Lynn, she said. 
shoot him? And I asked. Aim for the kneecaps. That will get him talking. Let me do it, Serena said. She sounded like a kid online for the Bearsville. Anna and I exchanged a quick glance. Coming from Serena and my aunt, this bloodlust was something new. It made me wonder how Vincent's men had treated them. No, I'll do it, Aunt Lindsay said. I'm old. My eyesight's bad. I might miss and hit him in the crotch. Ha ha ha, Brock said. They always have such snappy comebacks in the movies. My new aunt, Lindsay said. This one's a disappointment. She took the oversized revolver from Serena, lifted it in both hands, and aimed for Brock's right knee. Go pee if you have to, honey, she said to Serena. They weren't exactly generous with the bathroom breaks. I don't want to miss this, Serena said. Brock's ground, and then she ignored him. Now, Sarah, she said, you go ahead and ask your questions. And if you don't like his answers, say the word and I will put him right. I thought Aunt Lindsay and Doris would get along just fine. You ever fired one of those things, Granny? Brock's asked. The recall you will knock your head off. That's it. So some spunk, Aunt Lindsay said. So tell us, I said to Brock. What was the plan? He blew me a kiss, and then she fired. I think she meant to miss, to scare him, but she wasn't lying about her eyesight. She gazed Brock's thigh, sent him reeling and writhing around on the floor. You crazy bitch, he shouted. Meanwhile, he hadn't been lying about the recoil of Serena, and I corralled Aunt Lindsay in our arms, kept her vertical. She was undaunted. Let me try again, she said, pulling back the hammer. All right, all right, Brock said. We were supposed to hold you here overnight. Get you good and scared. Then what, I asked. Vincent was going to turn up in the morning, give you our real grilling after that. I don't know. No one knows but Vincent. Anna stepped up behind us. Then I guess we pay Uncle Vinny a surprise visit, she said. End this once and for all, like Sarah said. Amen, Serena said. I looked around at my co-spiritors, my friends and family. Maybe this sounds strange or out of place, but I was proud of them, proud to know them. What, what do we do with, what do we do with him? I asked, pointing at Brock who seemed to be teething on the edge of consciousness. Oh, I can patch up that flesh wound. No problem, Aunt Lindsay said, as long as he doesn't bite. We will tie him up for you before we go, Anna said. Good, I'll keep an eye on him. Why are you going on your errand? What about, what about, the, what about the dead one, Serena asked. I know where we can leave him, Anna said, though we should probably wrap him up first. There's a linen closet next to the downstairs bathroom. We're going back through the tunnel, aren't we? I asked. I haven't set foot in there in over a decade. I think it's changed since then, I told her. Serena pulled out her phone, snapped a photo of Brock, with his eyes rolling back in his head. 
for Vincent, she said, in case we need leverage. All right, and then she said, let's go, course. Chop, chop. There you go. That was the third chapter in this episode. Ready for the final chapter of this episode? Let's begin. Getting the fall into that tunnel was no small task. We wrapped him in black satin seats, tied his feet together, then twine made a kind of handle by hooking a bungee cord around his torso. For someone so bony, it was damn difficult to lift. Halfway down the basement stairs, I felt my hernia coming on. Then it was across the rec room, through the false panel, and into the pit stock. You think our lives will ever be normal again? Sarah asked. There were, there were never normal in the first place, I said. Sarah, with her rounded ankle, limped ahead of us while holding up the gas lantern we'd found in Vincent's shed. I held Defoe by his feet and carried the gin bag strapped across my chest. Serena, walking backward, gripped the bungee cord in both hands. I kept thinking Defoe would spring to life, tear away the seats, and grab me by the throat. The tunnel would have been the right place for it, so I hadn't been kidding. Without functioning lights and elephants, it had all the charm of a tomb which worked out nicely, since that's what we were using it for. And I think Anthony and I used to sneak down here for our private revitors. Trying to remember that time was like watching an old movie starring two actors I'd never seen before. Where do we leave him? Serena asked. I'm thinking the midway mark, I said. Unless the house gets raided with Vincent in it, no one will ever find him. We set the first corpse down, rested, picked it up again. Vincent's tunnel must have been the driest spot in all of Florida. But my blouse was drenched and I couldn't blink fast enough to keep the sweat out of my eyes. Serena suffered the way she'd always walked in silence. It wasn't until later that I saw the deep imprints across her swollen palms. All right, I said, this is far enough. We counted to three and let go. The third resounded like concrete landing on concrete. We kept going and I didn't look back. Without a dead man weighing us down, we might have been walking on air. At a little before midnight, we pulled up to the security gates outside Vincent's Castle. Me behind the wheel, Serena in the passenger seat, and Sarah nursing her bum ankle in the back. Not one of us had said a word during the drive. Hello, I shouted into the little black box. Anybody home? Two stocky guards hit pause on the card game and came sauntering out of the little cabin to look us over. I didn't recognize either of them. You saw we shouldn't have brought the guns? Serena asked. Listen to Annie Oakley, I said. You think we'd win a shootout with Vincent's army? Huey and Dewey wore black slacks and navy blue 
ran back as with the nurse's VC sticks across the chest. They each carried a gun on one hip, not looked like a play school walkie-talkie on the other. The one sporting a knit cap leaned in while his cohort walked the preliminary of the car. Good evening, Nick Cap said. You ladies lost or something? He looked more like a camp counselor than a first line of defense. But then the guys out front were mostly for so. Whatever they knew about Vincent's business, they'd read in the papers. Vincent kept the heavy hitters inside, circled around the master. Nope, we're in the right place, I said. I'm Vincent's niece, or niece-in-law, if that's a word, Anthony, was my husband. He mumbled something about being sorry for my loss, then backed out of earshot and spoke into his headset. Handset. Meanwhile, his partner kept walking in circles around our car. We could take them, Serena whispered. I mean, if he had to. My one-time maid hadn't just busted out of for sale. She'd shattered it. I only hoped she wouldn't get us killed. Netcap finished up his conversation and came paddling back. Mr. Costello says he knows you, but not your friends. You will have to do a quick search if you want to go in. Your portion and your vehicle. Sorry about that, but it's standard. Oh, no worries, I smiled. Will you? We're used to it. They flicked us, poured over the car's interior, then spent a long time digging around inside the trunk. What's this? Netcab asked, holding up the gym bag. Of course, he'd already discovered what was inside. A repayment, I told him. To Vincent, he will be very unhappy if any of it goes missing. And this? His partner asked. He'd found Sarah's insulin kit. I'm diabetic, she said. God number two looked confused. I couldn't tell if he'd ever heard of diabetes before or if he thought Sarah was lying. Trying to smuggle Aaron into Vincent's mansion, which would have been a first. I'll prove it to you, she said. I'm due a dose. It's been a busy day. I forgot to inject myself, and I'm starting to feel a little woozy. She took the kit from him. He stepped back as if maybe she was La Femin Akita and would drive the needle into his neck. Up close, you could see he was just a kid, a kid who'd watched too many movies. Sarah gave herself a 15-unit shot. Now watch closely, she said. But not off. Feel free to suit me. That seemed to satisfy him. Meanwhile, Sarah's cheeks looked a little rosier than they had before. As at long last, we piled back into the car and waited for the gates to pop. You ladies have a nice evening. Nick kept card waving us through. I stared the rental down yet another ridiculously long and missingly landscape Costello driveway. 
then parked under the very modern glass and still port concert. Vincent had stuck on the front of his Tyndall mansion. A half dozen more men stood in line to greet us. These guys weren't in uniform because they didn't need to be. They were the real deal. You think they're planning to kill us? Sweena asked. Not yet, I said. Vincent would still want to talk to us first. Taco Tojo, Sarah asked. The leader of our welcome party signaled for us to get out. His name was Nigel. He was Defoe's cousin. I'd forgotten all about the family tie until he stepped into the light. And the resemblance became glaring. Hold on! Resemblance became glaring. Same as thin lips. Same sucking pocket mark cheeks. Same wild gaze. I hoped he wouldn't ask us how our evening had been so far. Hello again, Anna, he said. I'll take you to see him. He showed no interest in Sarah or Serena, probably because he figured he wouldn't know them for long. We followed him inside. The rest of his crew stayed behind, as if maybe their owner hadn't gotten around to house training them yet. It's been a while, Nigel said. He said it with a smile, but really, he was rubbing salt in the room. I'd been unofficially bowed on account of the fact that Vincent couldn't stand me. I'd almost forgotten how tacky it all was. A sea of marble and gold, gold chairs, gold hope chests, gold pixel frames, gold slide tables and bases and lamps and light fixtures. Vincent would have guided his children if he had any. I wondered what Sarah and Serena thought of the place, but didn't dare ask. Probably they were too anxious to notice much of anything. Here we are, Nigel said. He pulled up short in front of a pair of thick mahogany doors. Hold on! Doors. I knew what was on the other side. Vincent's hell, the room he prized above all others. A room that reminded me of banquet halls and old movies, almost English kings and the knights who betrayed them, stuffed animal heads mounted on the walls, cannibalara sandalias, blooded curtains to block out the light by the day and prying eyes by night. This was where he conducted business, where he received guests, where he ate his three squares. He treated the rest of, of the house like an extension he regretted having built. Hold on, I said. He regretted having built. Nigel swung the doors open, and I found myself staring across a long and elegant oak table at the man I knew wanted me dead. The man who tried to kill me once already had one, no doubt, Clarkin. This smile was warm and gracious and inviting, and that scared me more than anything. Vincent was always at his most ruthless when he had a smile on his face. That's it, guys. See you next time. When I have four more chapters. Okay, guys? Bye-bye.